Hello and welcome to Echoes of Glory, Season 9, Episode 29. I'm Jack. I'm Stato. And today we have the pleasure of being joined by Spurs legend, Mickey Hazard. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. So, Mickey, look, we've got an action-packed agenda today. So, look, I'd like to go back, really, to where it all started for you. So, so signing your first professional contract. So, look, I'd love for you to tell us sort of how that happened. And was it always an aim for you to go on and actually become a professional footballer? Yeah, I think from the from as far back as I can remember as a little boy, my only my only wish in life was that I, one day I would be a professional footballer. You know, I played football every single day of my life from the moment I woke up till the moment I went to bed. And while my friends would so often interrupt playing football by going to the beach or going into the town and leave me, I'd be by myself playing football. Um, so um, it was. Um, yeah, it was a dream for me to be a footballer. And, of course, got incredibly lucky um, at the age of 10, 11. Um, again, lucky that um, the assistant manager of Spurs, called Wilf Dixon, um, was from Sunderland. So he set up a little scouting network in Sunderland and a guy called Ken Pedersen sort of watched me from about the age of 11 right the way through to 14. Um, and watched me every single week in, in every single game I ever played. Wow. Uh, so obviously befriended my parents. Um, so that when the decision came at 14, it, because I couldn't, in those days, you couldn't join a club outside of your um, an hour's journey uh, till you were 14. Um, so once I turned 14, I, I came down to Spurs, um, trained with the... Um, other young players, the apprentices, uh, and sometimes got called over to train with the first team. Wow. Um, I that was their way of showing me that they they wanted me. Um, and of course, uh, at the age of 16, was off. I, I knew I was getting YTS anyway, um, but at 16, came down and signed YTS. Um, so that's how I got to Spurs. That's how I got my first ever contract at the age of 18. Obviously, signed my first ever professional contract. So yeah, it was a a, a nice routine. Um, obviously, coming down to London was a a big change in my life and something that I'd not really thought about. Um, and that was tough um, being away from your family and your friends. And that was very very tough. But uh, ultimately, it worked out to be perfect. Yeah, amazing. And then as, as a youngster, um, you've just signed your first professional contract. What's it then like when you are, you know, training with these, these great players day in, day out? Were, were you daunted by it as a youngster or were you just sort of young and naive and were just able to embrace it? Well, the strange thing is I was probably, um, and if you ask any player this that I played with, uh, I was probably the most shy young boy you will ever wish to meet really um yeah I, I i couldn't i couldn't speak it was an effort to say hello to someone because i was so shy um but incredibly i went from sort of this um quiet shy young man um to walking out on a football pitch and sort of lack of respect is the wrong words but it sort of felt a bit like that. I walked onto the pitch and felt like, well, when there's a ball at my feet, I'm no longer shy. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, 
if you want this ball off me, you're going to have to come and get it. Yeah. Uh, and and it, it didn't. And while I wouldn't call for the ball or I wouldn't tell anyone off or shout at someone if they didn't give me the ball, um, when I had the ball at my feet, it was like that shy young boy had, had sort of grown into an arrogant man, if you like. Yeah. Um, and and even at the age of 14, when I joined him with the first team, I held no fears for me that they could get the ball off me um, when I had it. Um, calling for it was a hard thing to do. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, w- w- once I had it, uh, no fears. Amazing. And you made your debut for Spurs um, in a game against Everton, um, which we won 3 0. How much of that game do you remember? Or is, it, is it a bit of a blur because it was such a buzzle? Do you remember it, all the details to it? Uh, it's, uh, the actual game itself was an incredible blur. Yeah. Um, what I can remember about it is the day before being told and running down Tottenham High Road to the first telephone box, ringing my <laughs> mum and dad to inform them I'd, I was playing tomorrow. Um, the screams from my mum was will live with me yeah. forever. Then on the, on the match day, uh, again, things that I remember as if it was yesterday, you know, I'm getting changed and um, look to my right and I've got Ozzy Ardila as World Cup winner. And I look to my left and I've got Glenn Odell, one of the best footballers I've ever seen. Yeah. And all I can remember thinking is, Wow, what do they need me for? <laughs> you know, you've got two such unbelievable footballers. Um, and one of the everlasting memories was before the game, the, the player whose place that I took, John Pratt, came up to me, shook my hand, wished me all the best, said, Mickey, go and show them how good you are. Show them your skills, express yourself. This was the guy whose place I just took, which was quite incredible. Yeah. Um, anyway, going out onto the pitch... Um, I actually got voted man of the match. We won 3-0. I think I made a, a goal or two and, and I was voted man of the match. But um, at the age of, I think I was just turned 19 um, or, or, or 20, one of the two. I can't fully remember. Um, but you don't get man of the match at the age of 17, 18, 19 when you're making your debut yeah. with the Glenn Odell and Ozzy Ardiles in the team. Yeah. Um, so I think I got the sympathy. I did all right. I was quite pleased. Um, and I think I got the sympathy vote because, uh, um, you know, I was a homegrown, homegrown youngster coming through the system. Mm. Um, I haven't been at Spurs since a very, very young age. Um, and obviously, and I had this big mop of curly hair and so sort of stood out without having to stand out. Um, and, and yeah, I got voted man of the match. And, and then after the game, John Pratt came up to me while I was lying in the bath, um, basking in the, the glory of the win. <laughs> Um, and John Pratt came up to me and said, Mickey, different class, son. Well done. And I thought that was so magnanimous of, magnanimous of John. Yeah. Um, to one, wish me all the best and to go and do my stuff and then to come and congratulate me. I thought that was wonderful. And I forever um, held him in such high esteem as a consequence of that. Yeah, that's amazing. When, when you're when you're running out, then you know before the game kicks off, you're, what what are your emotions? And and try and describe to us like what's that like? You know, as as two diehard Spurs fans, you know, it's a, it it's an ultimate life dream for us to walk out on the pitch at White Hart Lane. So what is that? What is that feeling actually like when you do it for the first time? Um, I, yeah, I I don't think it changes when you do it for the first time or the last time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I ran out recently in the Inter Inter Milan game on the new stadium, for instance. And I got equally the same buzz. Um, I think that, um, you know, if I have one thing in life that I could wish every fan of every football club, it is that they get to experience 
running out on the day of a game um, for the first time. You know, you run out onto that pitch, you, you run up the, down the tunnel, you come into the view of the fans, uh, Glory Glory's playing. Um, it's if you don't guess, if you don't guess, get goosebumps. Uh, then you're a pretty tough character. Yeah. Um, I, 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 me to this day, to this very day, and, and I remember um, just before White Hot Lane closed, um, I was asked to do an interview for Swedish TV. Mm. And um, they wanted to do it pit side. So it meant I had to walk down the tunnel. Um, and as I'm walking down the tunnel, I'm seeing, you know, oh, dare it, a set, dare is to do pictures of all the, the Hall of Famers, pictures of the fans with their children, uh, you know, and I'm walking up the tunnel and I'm getting this most incredible goosebumps running through my body. I'm so, Then I have to sit in the stadium, you know, at the side of the pitch doing this interview. Yeah. He's asking me questions about my career as pretty much as you are now. Uh, and, 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 and I can't, I, I, I can't honestly tell you the goosebumps and lump in my throats that I got while sitting on the side of the pitch mm. discussing great moments in my career. It, it, it was the most incredible feeling. And, yeah. and, and, and that's, that's what you get every time you, you, you know, like if you talk the, the very, very last game at the, the lane, it was the most emotional game or moments that I've probably ever experienced in mm. football, the finale. Um, I got to walk out the tunnel in front of that, in that stadium for the very last time with a, a full house. Um, and when they called my name out, um, it was nothing of other than complete pride um, that I, one, I'd been invited to do this. Um, and as I walked down the tunnel, and came into view of the fans, and uh, it, um, it was just um, one of the most emotional moments that I've probably have ever experienced in my whole lifetime. And uh, and, um, and it's hard to put it in words unless you've done it. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I wish that every fan would have experienced that, um, because it really is so magical. Um, and particularly when it's the club, you know, I joined as a kid, um, pretty much when at the age of 11, 12, when you're starting to get in, uh, most kids are starting to get into football, starting to support their team and starting to understand why they support their team. Um, and I um, um, sort of um, wish you lot could experience it because it really is um, the most amazing feeling that you can have as a as a football player and as a football fan and particularly at the club that you love. Yeah. Well, to be honest, I get I get a big enough buzz just going as a supporter, so I, I can't even imagine what it must be like as a player to to walk out there. Now, you mentioned your sort of you, you, you've chatted through with other people your career highlights. Um, I'd like to do the same now. I'd like to start with the, the 1982 FA Cup. Um, that run, that team, obviously being successful. What, what what was it like to have been a part of that side? Well, number one, I, you know, if I can just touch on the previous year in '81, mm. um, which was an incredible cup run and an in- incredible team, and uh, I'd played in the last few games of the league season, and 
and was hopeful that I might just nick my spot. But in those days, you only had one sub. Mm. Um, I thought I might nick it. I didn't. Um, I um, So I was just a squad member on that day. But after the game, when we'd won the cup, I remember us going up to the, the, the office just next to where the clock was in the high road. Yeah. Um, and we were out, out looking out the windows at all the fans out, sort of congregating outside and singing and dancing. Uh, and it was amazing. And I remember walking back with Ozzy to the Shanty Clare. And um, I remember saying to Ozzy, Ozzy said, shame you didn't play, Mickey. And I said, don't worry, I'll be there next year. <laughs> not, not giving it a thought that I would be. Yeah. But, I, you know, incredibly I was. And, and, the, and the following year, in actual fact, and, and Ozzy says the best football team that he ever played in was the 1982 Spurs team. Mm. Uh, quite a compliment, given he'd won the World Cup in the Argentinian team. Yeah. Um, and, and I played sort of 40-odd games that season and, and scored some um, crucial goals, like the quarter-final of the um, FA Cup at Stamford Bridge, the yeah. semi-final of the League Cup uh, at Wyoming, and the winner against West Brom. Um, so it was the most wonderful season. You, you know, and being part of this FA Cup run, um, you know, scoring the winner in the um, quarter-final. Um, I remember patting the, I can't remember the, the player's name when we played Leicester in the semis, patting him on the end when he scored. Ian Wilson. Goal. Yeah, he scored the own goal. That's right, yeah. And, and I patted him on the end. <laughs> Ridiculous, really. Uh, but obviously, the um, it was a wonderful team. Should have won all four trophies that year we were in with an opportunity mm. you know uh, the backlog of fish, fixtures almost cost us everything you know a one nil up against Liverpool with two minutes to play Archie Ball goes round Grobola should stick it in to go two nil up you've won the cup um, misses they go down the other end a mistake from Ozzy or Ricky I can't remember which one and uh, they get a last minute equaliser and then winning extra time so I genuinely believe if we had uh, won that cup in March you know, I think we could have gone on and won the league, FA Cup. Um, we had, we got knocked out in the semi-final, the Cup Winners' Cup by Barcelona after being absolute brutally kicked off the park, mm. and still were much the better team uh, and lost over two legs by the odd goal. Um, we were an incredible team, and we really were. And uh, uh, but in the end, we, we we nearly ended up with nothing in a in a season where we could have won everything. Mm. Uh, but to walk out at Wembley in an FA Cup final. Again, in those days, not so sure about today because of the advent of the Champions League, etc., etc. It's detracted from um, the domestic cup competitions. Um, so I'm not so sure walking out at Wembley will mean as much to the modern day footballer as it meant to us. Remember that I grew up where the only live game was the FA Cup final. Yeah. Um, and to be walking out at Wembley with my parents in the stand, my brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, um, you know, and uh, walking out, looking up, getting to meet Prince, Prince Al on the pitch. I mean, it's, 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 it's like, wow, surreal. It really is surreal. You know, it's like a, a coming together, a fulfillment of all your, your dreams and, and wishes as a, as a youngster. And but much more importantly than that, it was a fulfillment um, of all your parents' dreams and wishes for you as their son, yeah. uh, because every parent wants the very best um, for their children, and, and and they want their children children to fulfil their dreams. And here they were, 
sitting in Wembley Stadium in an FA Cup final um, with their son or one of their sons um, uh, marching out onto the pitch. Um, the pride that they must have felt in me was equal to the pride that I felt that I was given them. Um, it was a, an incredible occasion, obviously, to win it, um, to pick up my, my first medal. And it's, it's, it's an interesting fact because obviously we'd won it the day before. We, the year before, we won it 82. I've got to be honest with you. <laughs> I thought I was going to win the FA Cup every year after that. <laughs> I honestly did. I thought that, well, I'd, you know, I'd, so I sort of took it a little bit for granted, the, the celebrations, I'd, um, a bit for granted because I thought, oh, I'll be here every year, you know. Yeah. Um, and I never actually got back there, which was tragic. Uh, so, yeah, very, very, but wonderful, wonderful, um, wonderful times, wonderful memories, um, filled with so many nice thoughts that if, if you wanted me to, I could probably sit talking to you to tomorrow night, 12 o'clock <laughs> if you want. Um, but no, incredible. Really oh, at, at what point in in that final that that we won did you think I'm about I'm about to win the FA Cup? Like, was there a moment, or did you ever feel comfortable? Or was it when the referee blew for full time that that was when it actually sunk in? No, I knew before we played we were winning it. Really? Um, I, I can honestly say this, and I mean this sincerely. I don't think I ever went in. You have to remember that we had Glenoddle. Mm-hmm. We had Ozzy Ardiles, we had Steve Archibald, we had Steve Perryman, we had Garth Crooks, we had um, Graham Roberts, uh, Tony Gall, Chris Hutton. I mean, we had an absolutely brilliant team. Yeah. Um, I don't think I ever entered a game not thinking we were going to win. So, of course, in the FA Cup final, it was... I actually think you, Queen's Park Rangers got away with it because... Uh, before the game, I was thinking we're going to win five or six. Yeah, uh, we were so far ahead of them, um, and in, in actual fact, they got a, in, in the first game. We were, uh, we could have and should have won, Eftley. Um And obviously, then the next game we were a bit fatigued. We'd played sixty-five games that year. Yeah. I remember squads and rotation did not, you know, you know, a day. We didn't have big squads. We had about 15, 16 man squads, uh, and, and rotation never happened. The best team. Best players were always on the park. Steve Perman that year, for instance, played 65 games. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, yeah, so um, maybe the you know going to a replay impacted on our performance because we were genuinely a bit fatigued. Uh, but I never, at any stage, felt we weren't going to win it. So I knew at the end I would have an FA Cup medal. Incredible. You mentioned, you know, the, the great players in that side. What was it that that team had then? Did it just have everything and sort of like who who were the, the, the standout players in that side and what, what key attributes did they have to in order to make that team so successful? Well, there were so many great players. Um, we had bits of everything. Hard men, clever men, skillful men, creative men, flair men, goal scorers. Uh, we had pretty much everything. The only thing that we sometimes lacked... Uh, when I look back, is we could beat absolutely anybody, and I mean anybody on our day. Yeah. And the, if we were playing the top teams, uh, more often than not, our level would go up a notch, and we would beat them. 
Our biggest problem was when we played the bottom team. Mm. Um, and we could sort of go into it sort of thinking, oh, this is a walkover. Um, so if you said what one thing that we maybe that killer instinct that takes you from where you were, which was top draw team, um, but a top draw team will absolutely smash the bottom of the table team. Yeah. Um, and we could beat Liverpool, beat Man United, beat other top teams, and then we'd go and bloody draw or lose to the bottom team that would um, knock our league chances back. So that, that team should have, on two or three occasions, won the league. Mm. And I know that sometimes the backlog of fixtures transpired against us. Um, but ultimately, it should have had. I should have had two league championship medals. Mm. Um, I didn't, um, mainly because um, we lost in silly games, um, which was when I look back now. I think God, sh- I should have been sitting with two two titles here, yeah. um, and I'm not. And that that is a little bit disappointing. But so many great players. Obviously, Glenn Oddle was. Um, you know, if you were to hold a vote um, of Spurs' best players of all time, I genuinely believe Glenn Oddle would be, if not at the very top, certainly in the top three. Yeah. Ozzy Ardiles, what a player, one of the best football brains I've ever seen. Um, different to Glenn. Um, Glenn was just pure genius with the ball. Ozzy was someone who sort of gelled it all together, made the play, read the game perfectly, three steps ahead of everyone else. Um, uh, was inspirational that by, he led, he was a leader. Perryman, unbelievable captain. Again, if I was picking a all-time Spurs 11, I'm, I haven't worked under some of the great captains of the past, but I can't imagine anybody being better captain than Steve Perryman. Mm. Um, Archibald up front was Wow, I mean, what a player. Uh, it was just a top, top team and top yeah. players and an absolute pleasure to play. So, yeah, um, uh, my only disappointment about that team, well, two disappointments. One, should have had a couple of titles. Uh, and two, um, it broke up um, almost within three years of sort of winning three trophies. Mm. Um, suddenly uh, Keith Burkenshaw resigned in, in um, his row with Irving Scholar and then the, 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 the old sort of chemistry of the team sort of started to fall um, and it, it, I'm not even sure that the club's fully recovered in terms of its uh, winning trophies and producing unbelievable teams mm. uh, but that was a bad time that that great team got broke up so quickly when it, when it was geared and set to win trophy upon trophy, you know? Yeah. So that was very sad for me. Uh, but hey, we got three in three in three years, so can't complain. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about the UEFA Cup as well then. So a couple of years later in 1984, another successful um, competition for us. How much did playing in Europe at that time differ from from playing um, in the English League, or, or did it not? Oh, well, no, it differed considerably. Um, the English League in them days was uh, up and under, up and at them, non-stop, running, tackling, chasing, kicking, 
booting the ball as high in his spot. Not that we played that way. We played the Spurs way. Um, but there was a lot of managers around at the time that preached um, the Wimbledons, the Watfords, that preached this up, up, up and under game and up and at them. So it was a very physically demanding game. Um, obviously, the offside rule was different. So it enabled the sort of up and under teams to c- congest the space in midfield by being able to push up because you, even if you weren't interfering with play, um, you were offside. Yeah. You could be, you could be uh, half an inch offside, not interfering, standing out wide, ball through the middle, but you were given offside. Um, obviously, pass backs to goalies could be uh, picked up then as well. Um, so, um, yeah, it was very, very different when you went into Europe. There was a lot more time and space to play, and and, and it sort of suited um, the players that we had. I was, you know, you give me time and space, I can hurt you. You give Glenn Oddle time and space, he hurts you. You give Ozzy, you give our players of that era time and space, they could destroy you. Mm. Um, and in Europe, I always felt that. It was a big surprise to me that we, when we lost in Europe, and in actual fact, I think we only lost to Bayern Munich, Barcelona and Real Madrid um, in my time in that European, uh, in those European years. Yeah. Um, so not three three pretty big clubs to lose to. Yeah, not we, bad. Should have, we should have beaten, um, and we, we beat Bayern Munich once as well. We knocked them out the year we won it. Uh, but we should have beaten Madrid. Uh, Mark Falwell got a last-minute goal that was not even close to being a foul. And it got disallowed, which would have put us through. And we played Barcelona off the park and they kicked us off the park and we lost. Um, so I always felt that we would be very, very suited to Europe. Um, the game was slower. It was quick, quick. It was slow, slow, quick, um, which suited our style. We you know, we were, kept the ball. We moved the ball quick and uh, and then we'd change gear and go up a notch. And, and it, teams had great difficulty stopping of us because of the creative flair that we all sort of had throughout the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, a lot, lot different to the English Premier League or the English Div, Div and one in those days. Yeah. Now, you mentioned uh, a minute ago when you were talking about the FA Cup that you always had belief that you were going to win that game. Was that the same in the final against Anderlecht or were there moments, especially in the in the game at White Hart Lane, where you thought, oh, you know, this isn't going to be our day? Never doubted it for one second. I think that Anderlecht got incredibly lucky. We should have won 3-0 over their place. Mm. Um, 1-0 up and then Tony in the last couple of minutes made a pretty basic mistake to allow them to equalise. So they got lucky in that game. Um, we got back to White Hart Lane. They played well Anderlecht at White Hart Lane. But you know what? I had this feeling it was Keith Birkinshaw's last ever game as manager. And from the moment it was announced, which I can't recall the exact moment that he announced he was leaving, but from that moment on my mind, um, it was fate. Mm. It was fate. We're going to win the UEFA Cup for Keith. Um you know, and when you when you consider that in the final, for instance, um, we lost Glenn Oddle through mm. injury. He'd been out sort of pretty much quite a bit of the season. Ozzy Ardiles was sub because he was injured. Steve Perryman suspended. Mm. Garth Crooks injured. Ray Clements injured. Like five regular starters mm. of that starting eleven, and then Gary Mabbott um, had to play. 60-70% fit because we didn't have anyone else yeah. uh, because we had a lot of youngsters in the team the great thing was that a lot of those youngsters um, 
had sort of came through the system um, at Spurs. So we had a togetherness and a, and a chemistry that sort of goes with um, joining as a schoolboy, coming through the junior and the youth and the reserves uh, and breaking into the first team. So um, even with all those top, top, top players missing, I didn't doubt for a second we were going to win. Mm. Even when it went, what was what were your feelings when it goes to penalties? Are you getting again? Are you still you've still got that belief, or at that point are you thinking oh, this is a complete lottery now? Um, it often can be a lottery penalties, and in it's 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 not about who's the best tactician, hmm. uh, technician. Sorry, um, it's about who's got the most bottle. Yeah. Um, now. I was supposed to be taking the fifth penalty, um, Robo first, and I was going to be taking the fifth, but I was suffering with cramping. You have to put your name in uh, for the five players, and Keith wouldn't risk because I had cramp. Mm. So he put the five in, and obviously by the time it got to Danny Thomas, I'd recovered from cramp. So as Danny, you know, Danny had to score for us to win it. Yeah. So as Danny's walking up, I'm thinking, blimey. I could have gone down into the history books as the, the scorer of the winning penalty <laughs> to win the, the UEFA Cup. And and Danny's going to do it, you know. Yeah. I was nominated as number six. Um, so as Danny's walk, walking up, I'm excited that we're going to win it. But I'm also envious because I wanted to be the one to put the winning pen in. Yeah, I bet. Um, so Danny walks up, takes the pen, misses... And as he misses, I think, oh, shit, this is me now. I start to step <laughs> like a leaf, you know. So, that you know, the, the emotions of how the, it can change in, in, in a split second. You go from being envious, oh, I wish I was taking this to score to yeah. win. And then he misses and then it's, oh, shit, it's me now. Uh, but obviously then the fans responded by one Danny Thomas, which was incredible. Mm. It uplifted the players. It uplifted um, uh, the old uh, atmosphere in the stadium and, and I genuinely believe that um, it gave everyone the lift needed for Tony to save that penalty it was an incredible moment you know to win the UEFA Cup in front of your own fans Yeah, um, I was there that... as a nine year old Mickey it was were you it's there? still one of my happiest memories I mean I'm a bit older than the rest of the guys that do our podcast so um, you know you have, you have special memories for me um, both times around I can remember when you, when you came back to us as well but yeah, you're so right. As a as a child, it was an electric atmosphere. I can't oh. explain it. There was nothing ever to compare it to was, it. It was the... There's two moments in my life, my footballing life, um, that stand, stand out above all else. Um, the second best moment in my whole life as a fo- in football was that moment. Yeah, winning the winning the UEFA Cup um, at Whitehall. It's such a fans. tough competition because that it, was incredibly tough. It's it, in a way, and I think youngsters will find this odd if I say it, but it's it's kind of like the Champions League now. In that well, it, you had three or four teams from each country who'd all slightly underachieved the season before and were looking to improve, so it probably better strengthen their squads. Yeah, so you got second, third, and fourth. That's all it. went into the UEFA Cup. And the European so, yeah. Cup, it's a 32-team knockout. And yeah. you've got teams from Ireland, Malta, you know, while weaker teams from all around Europe. And it really wasn't as difficult to win. 
Yeah. And you had Barcelona, Real Madrid, teams like that playing in this competition. Bayern Munich, we, you know, we played all three. So that tells you how difficult it was to win. But, you know, it was an incredible moment, the second best moment in my life uh, as a footballer. It won. Obviously, I'd been picked for the full England squad um, on the following, that was on the Wednesday night. On the Saturday, I was I was sub for England at Hampton Park for, against Scotland. So it was an incredible week in my life, yeah. footballistically. Uh, um, but that will live with me um, forever. That was the second best moment in my footballing life. Um, three great moments uh, I had in my life. One was walking up Wembley and seeing my parents. Um, but I've, I've got to say the most emotional I ever felt in my old footballing life was the finale. Um, mm walking out onto that pitch, standing in the middle of that pitch as a little backstreet boy from Sunderland, 300 mile away, um, and seeing um, players, legends, heroes, superstars from our past and our present, um, uh, you know, standing on the pitch with the, some of the 60-61 double winning team, uh, some of the team that won the first British team to win in Europe, uh, 67 winners, there's 72, 73, 74, um, eight, eight, our team, the 91, seeing all these legends stood on that pitch, the crowd going crazy, yeah. um, singing uh, songs and can't smile without you, glory, glory, uh, the chucking it down the rain, the rainbow coming from um, the shelf to the clock, uh, or the cockerel, sorry, the shelf to the cockerel. I mean, who wrote who wrote the script? Yeah. Who wrote the script? You know, most unbelievable um, emotional day um, in my life as a footballer. Um, that surpassed everything else. You know, people say, oh, can you compare it to winning the UEFA Cup or the FA? Because it supersedes those. Mm. Uh, this was sharing it with the fans of every era sharing it with the players of every Eva, even that day, the team that had beaten Manchester United. Um, incredible, incredible. But, you know, winning the UEFA Cup was just fractionally behind it. Yeah, and, and, I, and I was lucky enough to have been at the last game at the old stadium. And you described it brilliant there. It was just such a fitting tribute to us. Um, and the fact we won the game as well just sort of made it even well, more that... special. Um, you, men- you mentioned there, Mickey, about you know obviously like how big fans are um, to, to football clubs, and obviously as a Spurs fan, that one of the biggest games of the season is always against Arsenal. Um, so, what what are your memories and your your, your best moments of playing against them uh, in the North London derby? Um, I, 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 I I've got to be honest here, um, I forgot all of the defeats. <laughs> uh, in fact, in fact, I don't think I ever lost to them. <laughs> and that's how much I forgot. Um, my best, my best, my probably my, my greatest memory was in my very first NLD mm. in 1982. We went over to Ivory. They had a very, very good side. Graham Ricks, um, Alan Sunderland, David O'Leary, super, super, super players. Um, and we went over there and uh, I scored probably the best goal I ever scored. Mm. Unfortunately, it wasn't televised, uh, or it was, but they there was no advertising in those days. 
they had their, they had JVC on their shirt, so it would never got shown. So mm. I've never even seen the goal. But I remember that Ricky Bilia passed the, passed me the ball on the off wheel line, and I beat three men um, on a, a mazy dribble to the about the 25, just like five yards outside the box, and I unleashed a left foot shot into the top corner. Um, it was a wonderful goal, and mm. I'm gutted that I've never ever seen it. Um, but, and, and we won three one. I, I, I created another goal as well. And I got man of the match, and um, it was absolutely to be part of your first NLD. You know, you have to remember that when you join Spurs as a fourteen-year-old, and you come through the system, you know you. You play for the junior under fourteen team, under fifteen team, under sixteen team. It, it's 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 fed into you um, the meaning of the NLD. So even when you're playing Arsenal under sixteens, it means everything. Yeah. So you know, and and the longer you come through that system, and and the further you progress through, uh, and then you get to the reserves, and uh, and you've grasped exactly what this fixture is um it adds so much more to the occasion and um, the importance of the fixture to the fans mm. is one of the things that's drilled into you mm. you know you, you you can have the worst season in your life in terms of form you score three goals against Arsenal and win the game you are a hero yeah it's true um, you know everything else that's gone before is forgot mm. um, so to um, drive over from White Hart Lane to Ivory on the coach seeing the fans on the way there um, and the excitement the buzz the, the nerves mm. the anticipation the, the worry you know, um, is was incredible to to arrive at Ivory and um, be sitting on the bus and seeing the fans all there waiting to for you to get off the bus and then walking into the. You have to remember, I'd, I'd never been yeah. in the marble halls of Ivory, I don't think. Um, and then I've gone in and heated floors and and everything, and, yeah. uh, and then we've gone out and put on an incredible show. And I've had, even if I say it myself, and. I, uh, equally, I could say I was crap if I was, but I had an absolutely brilliant game. Um, scored one, made one, got man of the match. Um, and of course, it, those things make your memory so much better. Yeah. You know, if I'd have played great and we'd lost 2 1, it would mean nothing to me. Mm. Um, I, could, I, I wouldn't be able to bask in it and enjoy it. Um, so, yeah, incredible memories of beating Arsenal and um, don't have any of them beating us uh, <laughs> um, yeah magical absolutely yeah. love the buzz of it I, I love I love the buzz of it today but I absolutely ate it if you can understand what I mean mm. the buzz in the build up is wonderful and, but when I get to the game oh, I can't watch I ate it it's horrible ate, yeah. it's, it's absolutely the worst it's, it's, I can't bear it because if they go in front, oh God, I sit there praying. Um, and if, if we're winning 2 1, I'm on the edge of my seat begging the ref to blow. Yeah. There's only 30 minutes gone. <laughs> <laughs> Can you please always, 
they're always such tight games as well. Well, it's definitely felt yeah. over the last I few remember, years. I remember that one when we're two one up. Uh, we were playing brilliant as well at uh, Ivory at uh, White Watley a few seasons ago, and a ball went in at Harry on the off wheel line, and and he tried to turn. And he lost the the big centre back, the German. I forget his name. Mertesacker, yeah. Yeah, he, he intercepted it, and they bloody equalised and would pulverise them. Yeah. Oh, I was I was in tears. He scored an amazing but, goal, Harry, as well in that game. He bent it. In yeah, yeah, yeah. Harry, Harry's brilliant against Arsenal, and he just lost the ball on the halfway line. He tried to let it run and spin in behind Mertesacker, and it hit Mertesacker on the legs, and then they scored from it. I was. Because oh. <laughs> I just, I, I just want to get one when we've won. Hmm. I, I, I don't want to spend any time around the ground. I have to, but I don't want to. Um, I just want to get one, and then I just want to get on the Twitter machine, and tweet. <laughs> <laughs> I want to let them know who's boss of North London. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and I get crucified off them. I love it. <laughs> I love it. What's uh, your experience on match days now then? So you are you there for every home game or are you there for some? 95% of them, I'm there for every one. Yeah. Uh, my experience is, is it, it's... Obviously, it's a long day because we have to be in early to um, plan the day ahead mm. because we all have roles to play. Um, and then, of course, um, we get to sit and watch the game, which is absolutely wonderful. Mm. Um, to um, it, I say it's wonderful, but sometimes it's bloody hard work uh, <laughs> because when your team's not playing well, um, and you you're you might have been allocated to be sitting in a box with guests, um, and to sit with guests and be Mister Wonderful. You know, like the the Bayern Munich game, I think it was 7 or 8 2, yeah. was it 7 2? Yeah, 7 um, Believe me, I was in a box sitting with Spurs fans, and to be Mr. Wonderful <laughs> when you're 7 2 down is a very, very difficult thing to do. Yeah. Uh, trust me. So uh, it's not all a bed of roses. Sometimes you have to. I, I, I'm, I'm one of these guys, is I'm, I'm, I sort of sulk when we lose. Mm. I'm a bit of a sulker. Uh, I was as a player, if we lost, I, used to, I couldn't speak all weekend, um, and on the Monday morning I was I was on a right downer in training. Mm. I used to hate losing, um, and and now as a as a fan, I'm no different. Of course, I have a role to play, so I have to. But the minute I get in my car and, and I'm on my way home, I can feel the the salt bubbling up inside of me, <laughs> and I get indoors and and all I want to do is. Have a row with some Arsenal fan or somebody yeah. on Twitter, you know. I'm yeah. so, I'm so sulky, um, and I and I, I genuinely don't get over it um, till the Monday, mm. um, and then I'm over it. And, you know, obviously in football, uh, when you've been brought up as a player, you need to get over it quickly, certainly before the next game. Um, uh, but I used to carry it with me on a Monday morning in training as well. I used to hate training on Mondays yeah. uh, when we'd lost. I, I used to feel so low, um, so down. I hated it. Um, but if we'd won, I'd come in, I'd be on cloud nine. <laughs> you know? uh, so uh, equally as it affects fans, it affects 
players equally the same. Yeah. Uh, but I, I was a sulker when we lost. I hated it. Were there and any I still, players? I still am now. Were Sorry? there any players in the in the squads um, that you played in for Spurs that you know when we did have a defeat that would be like the ones that would rally and get everybody together and pick the side up? Was there anyone that you know used to do that? I think during the game, yeah. Mm. You know, if you're losing during the game, yeah, all of the time. Uh, uh, but after the game, it's sort of too late. Mm. Um, you know, you, there's nothing you can do about it. Then out on the pitch is when you need to rally and, uh, and lift people and inspire and uh, all of those things. But once you're in the dressing room, if you'd lost, there tended to be a, a stony silence yeah. um, for the, for, you know, after the manager said his bit, assistant manager said his bit, uh, then there'd be the injury inquisitions. Uh, and then you'd, There'd be a stony silence, and, uh, and then we'd get in the bath. And why was that? Well, you know, there'd be a big um, plunge bath for everyone, and we'd all sit in there, uh, and the atmosphere would be pretty low. But uh, would would run through one or two things that had happened um, during the game that maybe we could have did better. Mm. Um, and then on the Monday morning, would would go in and um, would have meeting every Monday morning. To dis- win, lose, or draw, to discuss the game, the performance, what we did well, what we didn't do well, um, and I hated them. I absolutely <laughs> hated it uh, because, um, you can, as I touched on earlier, I was incredibly shy. Um, so, if we were having a meeting every Monday morning, um, Keith and Pete, Pete Shreves, Keith, Keith Birch, I would be standing up in front of. The 14 players, 13 players, however many it was. And they'd be asking the players questions. What was your opinion? Mm. Uh, what did you think? And while I had a, I had a good opinion of what, what went wrong or what went right, um, I never wanted to air it mm. um, because of my shyness. So I'd be sitting at the back trying to hide, <laughs> praying, praying that they wouldn't speak to me. Um, I'd still be in my sulk anyway. Uh, um, but every now and again he'd speak, speak pull me in what do you reckon Mick oh god and then of course you, you, you're left with no choice so you yeah. have to overcome your shyness and I think that you know analysing my shyness I think that one of the ways that I overcame it was through those meetings in the end mm. who were the voices back then so you know when the managers asking those questions were there were there the same people that would pipe up every week and say this is what I think no, because obviously Keith, um, they had a psychologist in it from time to time who would say, "Don't ask the, don't let the same people speak all of the mm. time." Like a jigsaw, and you have to get every piece of the jigsaw, everybody's opinion, um, so that you can fit the jigsaw piece together where it went wrong, where it went right, blah blah blah. Um, but if you were asking who the dominant voices, I mean, we had some big, I mean, big characters, mm. you know, people who. Um, were leaders, uh, you know, Steve Perryman, big character, um, had something to say, said Ray Clements, um, wow, um, not averse to standing up and, and, and bollocking people in uh, in that meeting. Ozzy was a massive character, Glenn, um, Archibald, there's a lot of big characters, they weren't just great footballers, massive characters as well. Yeah. Uh, so, now, nah, um, Nobody um, stole the show in terms of it was always them um, because there was too many 
big characters in the group. Yeah. Do you think that, that that's maybe something that the current side or just modern day football lack a little bit, you know, having those personalities and those leaders with insights? Because you don't hear as much of it um, from teams in the modern day as you do from, you know, when we have the pleasure of speaking to, to former players. So do you think that's something that the modern game lacks? Uh, well, obviously, it's very difficult to comment because I never sat in, in their team meetings and their uh, midweek meetings just to discuss the the next game or the previous game. I've never sat in on any of them, so I have no idea what what type of characters they are. Mm. Um, comparing the on the field um, against sitting uh, 50, 60 yards away or whatever it is that we sit away, maybe three uh, three eights up. Again, you cannot hear the because of sixty thousand now as well. We can't hear who is or isn't leading or pulling everyone together or inspiring or motivating everyone. So it's difficult to answer the question. If I was to say, would they have the? Um, would it be like in my day? I'm not so sure. Um, the game is, is is different. It's not different. You know, I'm not one of these people who says the game's different. The game is the same, right? You have to pass the ball from A to B. You have to pass it through the 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 the, the various um, through the back four, through the midfield, through the front line. You have to stick the ball in the back of the net. So the game is exactly the same. It's changed in uh, uh, science and technology and nutrition. Uh, they're much more advanced in those areas today, um, as as against nowadays balls, kit, boots, pictures, you know, all those things have changed. But the actual game itself hasn't changed one bit, um, other than maybe more a slightly different style um, that most teams play now. Whereas in my day, there was such a wide variety of different styles. Uh, most style, styles today try to play. Uh, a pretty similar passing possession game. Um, so, is the leaders in our team? I don't. I find it difficult to answer that question without mm -hmm. being on the pitch with them or without sitting in meetings with them. Um, was the leaders in my team? Yes, lots. Mm -hmm. uh, and whether you led like Glenn Oddle would lead, who would lead by example with the way he was on the ball and how he never shirked or never hid from the ball, always got it and uh, never lost belief, always. You know, uh, one of the things uh, when I was coaching that I used to always say to kids, uh, look, don't let success or failure give you confidence or no confidence. Uh, because just as every pass you, good pass you make or every little bit of praise that the manager gives you will lift your confidence. If you have a bad pass or the manager criticizes you, it will knock your confidence. Mm -hmm. You have to have an inner belief that keeps you on an even foot of confidence, an even level of confidence all of the time. Mm. So praise doesn't lift you um, and uh, criticism doesn't knock you uh, because it's your inner beef. And, and, and Glenn, for instance, uh, Ozzy, Steve Perryman, uh, no matter who they were playing, they never appeared to lose confidence. Yeah. Um, and that's the key to success. Um, don't make success or failure. Success or failure um, stop you from believing in yourself mm. um, and I think if every player sort of based their confidence and belief on that one sentence 
than they would work on not losing confidence when they do something wrong uh, and not gaining confidence when they do something great. Um, You know, and and I stand by that philosophy. I think it's a wonderful um, thing to have an inner belief that doesn't, um, isn't affected one way or the other. Yeah, that's great. You, again, you mentioned Glenn again there. Would would he be up there as, as the best player that you played with during your career? I've got two footballers, t- t- very skillful, very creative, very with played with flair, very different in the way that they played the game. Mm. Uh, Glenn was just, I would say that Glenn is the best English footballer I've ever seen. Mm. I also would say that he's the most naturally gifted footballer that I've ever seen. Um, no, that doesn't mean he didn't. He was the best footballer I've ever seen. He wasn't because he had other things that, you know, if, if you compare Glenn to Messi, you know, both unbelievable talents. But Messi's got pace, power, things that Glenn didn't have. Mm. Glenn was an absolute and total genius with the ball. Um and for me, the best English footballer I've ever seen, and, and certainly the most naturally talented uh, English footballer ever. Um, Ozzy, on the other hand, had the best football brain I've ever seen. He was very gifted, nimble, graceful, elegant, read the game three or four steps ahead of the opposition. In fact, sometimes ahead of his own players. Mm. So he was equally a wonderful player, but in a very different way. He was a, a short passer of... You know, his range of pass wasn't a Glenn Glenn could hit 60, 70 yards on a six was backspin, side spin, top spin. Um, Aussie was a purveyor of the ball and never wanted the ball outside of his range um, because he always felt um, that, well, if I hit a 70 yard pass, I'm out of the game. Yeah. Um, you know, whereas he would pass it to me, pass it to Glenn and, and be 10 yards away from the ball um, and be ready to receive it again. Um, whereas 70 yards away, you sort of, you know, the game, you, you can't get the ball. Um, so I sort of, I, I learned from both Glenn and Ozzy such wonderful traits um, to play both games. Yeah, brilliant. But for me, the two two best footballers that I played with, Glenn and Ozzy. Yeah, amazing. Now, I'd, I'd like to talk about, you know, what it was like for you when you left Spurs and then what your emotions were when you actually rejoined the club and came back. So talk us for a little bit about how that happened and how you felt during those times. Well, um, well, the day that I left, we played Newcastle on Saturday. I scored in a 5-1 win at Wyatt um, celebrating in the players' lounge after the game, and Peter Shreves called me out of the players' lounge and told me that I'd been Urban Scholar had sold me to Chelsea. Um, totally took me aback. Uh, no, I was—I've got to say—I was absolutely fuming. You have to remember, I joined this club at, as a sort of 13, 14-year-old, and I was 25 now, and saw myself being at the club for the rest of my career. Um, yeah. And then to be told you were sold. So I I went into back into the players' lounge, got my coat, got in my car and drove home, um, absolutely fuming. Um, it's rare that I sold, having scored and won 5-1, but trust me, I sold the whole weekend. They'd set with me, <coughs> with me on the Monday with John Hollands, a Chelsea manager manager and said to me, you know, look, you have to go because if you don't go, you won't play again. 
Mm. Um, but I always felt, mm, yeah, you might say that, but if I'm playing well, you can't, you, you, I'll play again. Yeah. Um, so I went to this meeting with Chelsea with no intention of signing. Um, and he spent a couple of hours trying to persuade me. I sort of was not interested in any way, shape, or form. Form, and then for the first time in my life, I allowed financial rewards to influence me—the first and only time—and mm. um, regretted it the next morning. Um, and he said, "If you sign your name," so he gave me a car, he gave me removal expenses, mm. four hundred pound a week rise, um, and said, "If you sign here, we'll also." give you this signing on fee um, which tempted me to sign mm. and I remember driving to the training ground next morning uh, at Chelsea in arriving there uh, I had no idea how long it was going to take to get there so I left at sort of quarter half six in the morning, got there for half seven training didn't start till half ten mm. <laughs> so I sat in the car park um, and at half ten all the players had gone, in, gone into the changing room, got changed they were out on the pitch warming up and I was still sitting in my car thinking, what the heck have I done? <laughs> um, so I was pretty angry with myself, pretty ang angry with um, Tottenham for selling me um, um, and spent quite a period um, hoping that they would re-sign me mm. quite, quite a long time. Um, until one day I thought I know that they tried to re-sign me on two or three occasions um, but they were offering £50,000 so it was never really going to happen mm. um, and, then the, and then one day I just thought right I've got to get it got to get it out of my system um, I did a the, the, the press were forever questioning me at Chelsea about Spurs etc and um, then one day I said to the press look we have to stop this we have to stop talking about my time at Spurs and am I going back and this, that, and the other. I said, it's, it, it, I'm not there anymore. We have to, we have to stop talking about it. I have to get focused on my job in hand, you know. And mm. um, so I put an end to my. Uh, that didn't mean that I didn't keep thinking about it. I did. Um, in fact, in 1990, when I left Chelsea, um, I really thought Venables was going to sign me. Mm. I even he asked for a meet, meeting in a hotel. I met yeah. him in a hotel. And I was I was absolutely buzzing, yeah. And because I used his agent, and I was thinking, oh. And I met Venables, and he said, "Listen," he said, uh, "Newcastle, a few of the clubs trying to sign me, and um, I'd met, met and spoke to them." Um, and he said to me, "Listen, um, I've got somebody who wants to sign you." And I thought, <laughs> I mean, you. you you mean you're not going to sign me? Mm. You know, in my head, I was saying you're not going to. And he didn't. He didn't sign me. And he, he put me in, put me onto Jim Gregory, who was his best mate at Portsmouth, um, who again offered me a lot of money, but that wasn't the reason why I signed. I made that. I was again. I was a bit upset that Venables didn't sign me. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was disappointing. Um, but it was tough when I first left Spurs, and and, and of course then I joined Swindon. With Aussie and then Glenn, mm. that was I got to say three wonderful years uh, playing. It was almost like a, a miniature Spurs. We played some 
incredibly good football, the style that I wanted to play in. And obviously, when you add Glenn Oddle to uh, that team, yeah. you, you become an incredible passing team. And, and we were. Um, and it was a wonderful three years. Uh, I thought it was going to be my farewell to football. I was going to, uh, I'd sign a two and a half year contract at the age of 33. Um, so I was thinking I'll be nearly 36 when I'm up. That's you know this is my bye bye. And then Aussie came in for me. Um, I had a sponsored car at Swindon with my uh, with free petrol. Um, I had it was one as I said it was a wonderful little club and but Aussie came in for me and that was it. Um, I'd have walked from Swindon to Tottenham <laughs> to give my car in. I had to catch a train home um, to meet Aussie. Uh, I, it was like I'm going home. Yeah, and um, I went home. Um, didn't even negotiate with Aussie um, for a rise. Um, didn't get a signing on fee. Uh, didn't get a rise. Mm. Uh, they did give me a, a car, um, but I stayed on the same money that I was on at Swindon, um, and it was just I was back. Yeah. You know, it, Thinking that you were, that was it, you're, you know, 33, you're not going back to Spurs, are you? Mm. Uh, but I got back and there it was, it was amazing. Uh, amazing because my, my children now, my, my, one of my sons was nine. Um, so he could come and, uh, fanatical Spurs, he, he could come and watch me play for Spurs. My, my other son was five and could bring them to Spurs every week. And, yeah. And it really was um, uh, just a dream. It was it was a dream, and it you know sometimes in 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 my life I've always said I'm I'm, I'm being blessed throughout my whole life, um, and that doesn't mean that I haven't had a heartache or mm. or bad things happen to me. Of course I have, but within that um, I've had more good things and more great things, and and uh, you know it's. To get back to Spurs, ranks up there. That um, I'm back. I'm warm. It's like going on holiday for three, four weeks, um, and then when you get back, walk through your own front door. There's a feeling of ah, oh, I'm warm. Yeah, that's and that's that's how I describe my getting back to Spurs. I'd been away for six, seven, whatever it was years, and then suddenly I was coming home. To uh, to the place that I was, well, in my head anyway, I was born to be. So, yeah, wonderful, amazing, and it's, it's quite a poetic story to be honest. That you know, you started there, had the great times, left, but then managed to get back and, and basically finish where it all started. It's quite an incredible career. Yeah, no, it's you know in, incredible, and and um, it, it's strange because at the at the end of my career. Um, when I decided to retire, Jerry Francis obviously came in. I was 35. I knew Jerry wasn't going to build his team around me. Um, I'd started to pick up a... I, I think you can play on longer than 35, but I think it's important that you don't get any injuries. But uh, under Jerry, I tore my hamstring twice because of his... Um, I don't know if you'd ever heard about his running um, mm. on a Tuesday... It was just absolutely horrendous. What did it have uh, to do? For anybody that doesn't know, what, what did you do? Um, I can't remember exactly, but what we used to do, 
we, we used to go in. So what he'd do is he'd get someone to run one. So you'd run six, stand on the goal line. You'd sprint to the six-yard line and back, the 18-yard line and back, the off-wheel line and back, mm-hmm. the four-18-yard line and back, the four-six-yard line and back, and the four-eight-goal line and back. And he'd get someone to do one and time it. And then you had to match that time every cool. time. Now, we used to do three sets of six. Cool. I believe you me, try that run. That sounds horrific. No, it was horrific. Yeah. And of course, one day he did it. I, you know, I'd been, I was coming back from a little ankle injury and um, we had a reserve game on the Wednesday and he made me do the run on the Tuesday and I had to play in the reserves on the Wednesday. And on the Wednesday, I tore my hamstring. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I ate. I used to see young boys of 16, 17 being sick everywhere during these runs. It was, okay. a it was, it was harder than any run I'd ever, I'd ever done in my whole life. Yeah. Um, when you remember, I'm a footballer and pre-season you are training your socks off. Yeah. Um, but in season, I've never experienced anything like it. Um, so I ate it. Um, so, uh, I made. I knew Jerry wasn't building his team around me, so I, I made the decision in the March um, to retire. Um, suffered the two torn hamstrings, so um, Birmingham tried to sign me. Um, Barry Fry, um, and even I've been retired three months, three or four months, maybe longer. In fact, it was uh, maybe six months, and he rang me up. And he said, Mickey, Barry Fry. <laughs> I said, hello, Barry. Who are you? Now, I'd played in a testimonial at Southend um, not long after I'd retired. Um, there was lots of... Barry Fry came in at half-time in this testimonial. And he said, there's one player out there on this pitch that stands out above everyone. There was lots of good players playing. And he said, Mickey Hazard, you are sensational, son. I would pay a million pounds to have you in my team. Hmm. And he must have never forgot this. And he rang me six months after six months. And he said to me, Mickey, we're playing Middlesbrough in the FA Cup. He said, I want to sign you today and you'll play in the FA Cup here. (laughs) I said, Barry, I haven't trained for six months, mate. I said, I've put on half a stone. (laughs) I said, I I, I can't say yes because I'd let you down. I said, I'm not fit enough to play in a game. He said, I don't care. I want you to come and play. <laughs> he said, you're playing. Offered me a two-year contract. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. Wow. Um, and I couldn't. And I couldn't mainly because I'd retired at Spurs. You know, yeah. and I, I genuinely believe this, and I genuinely believe this of all former players. I think that if you've spent... Uh, or the vast majority of home plays, if you spent any number of years at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, that's where you end up. Yeah. You know, I look at the players now that come to Spurs on match days uh, who've played for Spurs before uh, over any length of period, and they absolutely idolise Spurs. Mm. So I didn't want to finish my career anywhere else but Spurs, and that was it. I said, no, Barry. You offered me good money as well. No, sorry, Barry. Um, I'm not coming out of retirement. I retired where I wanted to retire. Yeah. 
Amazing. So, so good listening to that. Um, last thing we'd just like to quickly um, talk about is that Stato's prepared a little bit of a quiz for you, Mickey, to see test, yeah. the, test the memory. Um, so, Stato, do you want to take it away? Just to explain, Mickey, at the end of, of our show every week, we do what we call the This is Tottenham Hotspur quiz. And we list the team from a famous game and the, the sort of people on the, the podcast get to try and name the missing players. So okay. I pick your debut... And I'm going to ask you to, to name all 11. Oh, shit. Wow, that is... Hang on, it was 82. No, it was 80, my debut, sorry. 80, so I yeah. would, 80. It would, Okay, can I go one of two in goal? Yeah, of course, mate. I would say it was probably Barry Danes. Correct. Yeah. Um, Steve Perryman. Yeah, a right back. Chris Hewton. That left back, correct? Graham Roberts? No. Not Graham Roberts? Not Robbo. There's a shock. Paul Miller? Yeah. So you're looking for a different centre-half? It must be Paul Price. No, he didn't join until 82. Oh, sorry, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of 82. Sorry. I'm got, it's 80, wasn't it? Sorry, um... It was. It must have been John Lacey. No, lives in Australia now, I believe. Don McAllister. Yeah. Was Don McAllister in my debut? God. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, uh, then, th- then you go with the midfield huddle. Yes. Or Delez. Correct. Hazard. Yeah. Um, who's the other one? He scored. Tony, I don't... He scored in the game. That was Tony Galvin, wasn't it? Yeah. Tony Galvin, yeah. The but now the strike Galvin. force. The strike force was Jerry Armstrong. Yes. And Chris Jones. Absolutely spot on, mate. Go on. Show off to everyone and tell us who the sub was. I would say the sub was... Gary Brook. No, he's a winger as well. Quite a good mimic. Bit of a joker. Winger. Peter Taylor. Yeah. Wow, was Peter so? Yes. I think he even came on for you, mate. I didn't get took off on my debut. According to the Spurs um, Oracle, you did. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't, honestly. No, fair enough, mate. Fair enough. No, not a bad memory though. What was that? Eight or nine out of eleven? It's pretty good. Can you your shirt number, Mickey, from your debut? I would tell you now my shirt number would have been. It's a bloody great question. I would say. Well, Aussie wore seven. Glenn Mm -hmm. wore ten. I would say my shirt number will have been. This is a great one, this. Um, uh, wow. Hold on. Don't tell me. <laughs> Three, four. So, yeah, I, I, when I was breaking through later, I wore number five all of the time. Number five. I don't, I don't think I wore that on, my, on the... I would say number eight. 
Thank you. 